Good morning. Oh, can you put it back real quick on the, the, uh, the last slide, the Colossians slide? You back there in the sound and power room? Just uh, hit the back button if there's, if there's one. Might, might be just an arrow. I don't know. No? There we go. Great, great. This is our series in Colossians, and we've, we've taken a detour a couple times uh, for Advent and some other things, but the series is uh, entitled Christ Over All, and the book of Colossians is really about the preeminent lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life and existence. And, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about everything. It doesn't talk about... Uh, you know, your political parties that you should be affiliated with. And it doesn't talk about, you know, uh, certain mundane rituals of daily life and what you should do in, you know, certain obscure corners of, of you know, your, your marriage or whatever it is. You know, God has given us the Holy Spirit. But in all of those things, as we, as we navigate through life and life's challenges... And figure out what it means to be Christians, glorify God, honor Him, and worship God in our lives. The, the one uh, kind of constant stream through everything we do, even as we wrestle with tough decisions in life, is the Lordship of Jesus Christ because He is over all things. He is preeminent in all things. We read that, remember, in chapter 1, verse 15, that He is above all things and through him all things were made. And when Christ is Lord, we talked about it a little last week, when Christ is Lord, it means that every decision is subject to what it means that we serve him. And it means that our own rights or our own desires, um, it's not that they simply take a back seat, but what it means is that they're subject to his lordship. The fact that he is above all things, and, we, and all things that we do connect to our worship of him. So, um, having said that, turn uh, in your Bibles to Colossians uh, chapter uh, 3. And I also really like the graphics there, so I just kind of wanted to show that off. Um, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3. Um, these little perforated uh, connect cards, they're not just, I, I, I kind of, I've kind of made it seem like we just want a record of your attendance. That's really bad. Actually, that's secondary. Um, there are, there's a place for a prayer request on here, and that's really what we want to do. Um, we want to be able to distill um, those requests to our connect groups, um, Justice Baycott lead one, leads one on Wednesday nights, and there's another one that are uh, headed up by the branches that we meet every Sunday after church, and we pray at those different times. And so not only do we want to invite you out to one of those groups, uh, if, you're, if you'd like to be involved and you're not involved, but we also want to let you know that we want to be praying for you. So if you have a prayer request, fill those out. Those get back to us the very next day, and we can pray for you and distill those requests to our, to our small groups. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands 
as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray and invite your presence to be with us this morning. The unction and anointing of your Holy Spirit, we pray, would descend upon us right now as we as we move through this passage of Scripture, and some things which are hard to hear, maybe hard to say, Lord, as we live in a culture that is so rapidly changing and moving in new and different directions than the moorings of Scripture. Open our hearts and minds right now that we would be able to hear what you want us to know, and we would know what you... uh, intend for us for the purpose of godly living and Christ-likeness. Convict us now, convince us of the word of God, and transform us that we would leave differently than the way we came into this place. In your son's name we pray, amen. Um, When I first looked at this passage, um, I thought I would be able to cover all these verses in one sermon, And I realized that um, the section on the bottom, verse uh, 22 through 4 through 1, which talks about bond servants, the Greek word there is doulos, and it means slave. And I thought, I'm going to need a whole separate sermon to unpack that. So we're going to break it up in two parts here. So the name of the sermon is New Life at Home. Remember, we've been talking about the old person being crucified, putting on new garments because we have new life. Well, this new life and the virtues we talked about um, last time um, is unpacked in the most practical sense of the people we see every day, day in and day out, which is our household, our family. So we're going to break it up in in two separate sermons. Um, Up until this point, we've dealt with stuff that most people can get behind, right? Um, Virtues, right? Paul says, be compassionate. He says, uh, you know, be forgiving and, you know, have, you know, uh, loving kindness uh, for others and patience and meekness and all of those things. And even the skeptic can get behind that and say, yeah, those are good things, right? I can get with that. Um, But this is where this passage here, on the surface, the Bible seems passe, right? We're living in the 21st century. We live in a cutting-edge, you know, technology, or, and, and we've kind of thrown off traditions as a culture and, and um, you know, our, 
our cultural and societal moorings from the past, you know, um, cause us to engage with a passage like this, um, especially those who don't believe, it, makes, it can make us uncomfortable as believers, and it can make the unbeliever just say, um, yeah, women submit, children obey your parents no matter what, servants obey your masters, right? Uh, no thanks. You know, the, the, the culture looks at this and they say, you can keep Christianity. If this is what Christianity is all about, you can keep it. Um, but I want to show this morning that from, uh, from this passage of Scripture that the Bible is not some primitive code for living, some outdated ideal about how to be alive in the world. It's actually God's good plan and good design for human flourishing, for husbands, for wives, for children, for parents, for those that are in subjection to power, power whether it be at work, or even in Paul's day, there were slaves and masters. Next week, we'll unpack that. It's a sensitive topic, and we're going to talk about it. Um, the Bible is a subversive book. That's a word you hear me say pretty frequently, probably, and I'll keep saying it because I really believe that. It basically takes uh, the, humanity's assumptions about what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what it means to be successful, uh, and it flips it up on its head. In fact, my job as a preacher is actually to be very subversive also because you're all products of the culture. We all are. And so there are certain assumptions we have about what it means to just be Americans or be neighbors or be successful. And so every Sunday that the preacher gets up here, um, you know, in any church, but when I get up here, uh, I'm trying to undermine some of those things and replace them with a, with a biblical ethic. Um, um, you know, what, what God really wants us to think and be and do. And so the Bible is a subversive book. Um, you know, it says the first will be last, the last will be first. Those who profess themselves to be wise become fools. The one who humbles himself is exalted. All of these things that are com the complete opposite of the world's value system, right? Um, it's not the, the rich, but the poor in spirit uh, who are blessed. It's not the mighty who have real power, but the peacemakers and the humble and the patient and the meek. Those are the ones who will inherit the earth, not those who march on nations with armies. There's all, all of this language that is completely opposite from kind of the world's system of thinking. Constantly challenging uh, normal structures of society by showing a better way of being human. That's what the Bible does. And that's what the gospel does. This is the way God intends, right? This, and so when we unpack these passages of Scripture, um, in, a, in a traditional... Uh, in, in antiquity and even now, you know, a house consists of uh, women and uh, children and servants. And um, historically, those things were all understood as the property of the householder, right? The, 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 the head of the house. All of those things were, were in his domain. But what Paul does is he gives these responsibilities that are each one, has, there's two sides to, to the coin. 
So the wife is not just to submit herself to the husband. The husband has an obligation too. The children are not simply to obey the head of the household, but the, the father has an obligation to treat his children a certain way. The servants are not simply to obey and do everything that the, the master of the home, you know, the, the head of the home says, but he has a responsibility to treat his servants a certain way. So this is what this, is what, uh, this passage is, is talking about. And it makes sense because we remember um, last time we... Uh, the last time we were in this pass, the passage before, so remember last week, we, it was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. But the last section we preached were these virtues, right? These virtues that are supposed to kind of embody. So what Paul does is now he gives examples. So the previous passage, he says, be compassionate and long-suffering and all these things and merciful and forgiving and thankful. And now he says, and here's, here's an example of how you can you can do that. And here are the people that you can do that with. Um, And so in verse 18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Um, One of the reasons that Paul might be talking about wives submitting to husbands is because about 15 years earlier, in Galatians 3.28, Paul makes the statement that is uh, for, for Judaism at least, right? Christianity as a religion is still kind of taking shape. And he makes a statement in Galatians 3.28 where he says, Therefore there is no difference between Jew or Greek, man or woman, slave or free. And that statement right there is like a, like a, like a nuclear explosion philosophically in the first century. And so now here we are 15 years later, 15 to 20 years later when Paul writes the book of Colossians and he's kind of making, some scholars think, maybe uh, he's putting some parameters in place because possibly people misunderstood what Paul had said before. Um, And and Paul is not saying there are no rules, there are no structures and family dynamic and Everyone is completely equal, equal, right? I mean, we'd have total chaos if it was that. I mean, not equal in the sense of um, worth before God, but equal in the sense of there's no differentiation between powers and authorities and positions, right? God has called men to be men, women to be women. We're not, so Paul isn't saying that there's, you know, we're now just one big genderless race. What Paul is talking about in Galatians is essentially that in the sight of God, that Everyone has access to the covenant. And you might say, well, of course. Well, sure, right? Of course everyone has access to the covenant. Actually, Paul was challenging in Galatians an idea that, was, that really existed among the Jewish population. Right? The, the, it, it's, it's said that the, the religious Jewish man prayed a prayer every day, and he said, you know, I thank you that... Um, I'm not a Samaritan, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, and I thank you I'm not a woman. And so when Paul makes this statement, covenantally speaking, right, there's no difference between male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, what he's saying is they all have equal access to God. And so Paul's statement here is maybe kind of shoring up 
the misunderstanding about maybe some earlier statements that he said before. The word submit here is used as an imperative. So when it says, wives, submit to your husbands, it's really an imperative. It's not a declaration, wives, you are in subjection and in submission to your husband. It's not a declaration that a woman is to forcefully be in submission to her husband. It's a command that she is to, of her own volition, of her own will, to submit herself to the position that her husband has, right? So it's not by coercion. Wives, you are forced to submit to your husbands. It's an imperative. It's actually asking a wife to step forward and recognize God's design for the family and submit herself to the authority of her husband. Um, And I want to say this because we live in an egalitarian culture. And for those of you that may not know what that means, that means that our culture is entirely informed by this idea that everyone is equal. And that's a, that's a when, we, when you say, whoa, is everyone equal? Is everyone not equal? That's a yes and no. <clears throat> it's not an issue of equality when Paul says for women to submit to their husbands. Men and women are of equal value and worth and dignity in the sight of God. A woman is not of any less value in the sight of God than her husband. But functionally, in the structure and hierarchy of the home, there is a particular order. And here's a good analogy. Jesus is God, and he's equal with the Father, but functionally... Let me get too close to this edge here. There we go. wanted to get in front of this, but not fall off. Functionally, Jesus is subordinate to the Father. So he is equal in being, in essence, the Father is God, the Son is God, but, but functionally, in terms of him doing the work of the Son, he is in submission to the Father's will, right? Jesus says, I don't do anything of my own will, but that which I've been commanded by the Father. The words that I speak to you are not my own, but they're that which the Father has given to me. In fact, in one place, he even says, you know, uh, I go to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And he's talking about their, their, the functionally. Okay? So functionally, there is an inequality there where the Father sends the Son to do the work of redemption. But, and I'm going to use a big word here, ontologically, which means their, their, their being, they're exactly the same. So, as a helpful analogy... For wives and husbands, they're both created in the image of God, both of equal worth and value, but a woman has a different role than a man, and a man has a different role than a woman, and in the hierarchy of the home, that's how those things kind of uh, unpack themselves. Um, So wives are to submit to the authority of her husband, even though in the sight of God she is totally equal in value and worth and has no less access to God and no less access to the covenantal promises. Now here's where the rubber here's where the rubber meets the road. So here's this command, wives submit as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, because this is the way God sees fit. So at the end of the day, if you still say, "Well, I don't understand why," 
the last part of that verse, as is fitting in the Lord, this is, this is how God saw fit from the, from the dawn of creation. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Submission becomes hard when a woman recognizes that um, she has more gifting in her husband in a certain area. Submission becomes tough for wives. Now I'm going to get into the husband's responsibility, so don't, we're not just talking only about women here. But it becomes tough, you wives, when you recognize that you might be better at something uh, in a certain area than your, your husband is. And um, there's no cookie-cutter rule, but every household has to figure out what it means to keep that dynamic of headship, submission, and glorifying God as you work out those responsibilities. Maribel and I, some years ago, um, I was really busy at work. I was working 50-plus hours a week, and she said, I'm going to take over the finances. And I said, yeah, fine. You know, it's, it'll, be a good, it'll be a good help. And I found myself, we both found that I had to go to her for permission for every dollar I was spending, not because she was holding back money from me, but because maybe we hadn't worked out that dynamic in the best way. In other words, we had like, we probably didn't have the, the, the best budget. And if we did, I wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have to do that, but we didn't have that. So for us personally, her gifting in that area caused me to, it caused us some discomfort there found myself having to go to her for permission, and she actually said one day, this doesn't feel right. Now, I'm not throwing that out there as some blanket rule that husbands, if your wife is controlling the finances, you're out of order. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying was for us, we had to work out what it looked like to, keep, to, to glorify God in that dynamic of submission in that particular area. Years later, we were kind of a team. I'll pay a few bills, she'll pay a few bills, and we figured it out. But, but every home has to figure out what it looks like, what submission looks like, what headship looks like, and what harmony looks like. So there's no kind of cookie-cutter blanket rules just to throw out to all of you. But, you know, every home has to figure those things out. And sometimes uh, God's design, gender designs, and roles for men and women trump gifting. Okay, sometimes those roles, this is hard stuff to talk about, but sometimes those roles, um, the God-designed order of the home trumps the gifting. And that can become hard, wives, especially when you realize, but I'm really good at this and I'm actually better than he is at this. And that may be totally true. I mean, no, no, no one's, you know, no one's taking that away, but every home has to figure out what it looks like. So... Um, hopefully I haven't said too much. But essentially, to sum that up, sometimes gender trumps gifting. Um, Here's what's interesting is these passages of Scripture um, talk about things that we naturally do the opposite of. You say, "Why why is the Bible talking about this? Why does the Bible say women submit as is fitting in the Lord. And the next verse we're going to read says, Husbands, love your wives and don't treat them harshly. Well, the Bible challenges us in areas and things we don't naturally do. So women, it doesn't say women love your husbands. Why not? Because most of you ladies don't have a hard time showing love. Right? Women are, are more uh, expressive of their emotions. They can be more affectionate. Women can be soft and those things, and they can show 
love, you know, at least express love pretty easily, submitting, not so much. Husbands don't have a problem providing and protecting. That's kind, most husbands, that's kind of something they do naturally. Um, no one had to say, what are you doing sleeping until noon? You should go out and get a job. You've got four kids. There, there was this drive in me, this wire in me, that I had to you know, bring home the bacon. But husbands are challenged in the area that they're not so good at. And what does the Bible say? Husbands, love your wives. So wives are not commanded to love their husbands because it's something they do naturally. Husbands are not commanded to provide. It's something they kind of do naturally, but they're, each one is challenged in the area that they struggle with. So it's not, a, it's not a jab at you wonderful women to say that women struggle with submission and husbands struggle with showing love to their wives and being gentle and kind and gracious to them. First Peter 3 and 1 says, um, Wives, submit to your own husbands so that even if some husbands don't obey the word, right, some of you are thinking, you know, oh, submit to my husband. He's a godless jerk. Oh, hopefully that's none of the men here, but, you know, I mean, some women say that, right? I mean, do you want me to submit to my husband? He's an animal, you know? He's a, he's a Neanderthal. He's a, he's a beast. He's a jerk. And 1 Peter 3.1 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some husbands don't obey the word, they may be one without a word. They may be one to Christ without you even having to say a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. In other words, if you find yourself struggling with the command to submit to your husband, even though he's an unbeliever and you don't feel he deserves your submission, 1 Peter 3 and 1 essentially says your submissive, respectful, reverent behavior is evangelism. That wives can win their husbands to Christ when those unbelieving husbands see that submissive and reverent, godly behavior. And I've actually heard, I've known of stories like that. Where a wife suffered with an unbelieving husband for years. And they loved each other, but, but you know, it was just, it was a tough marriage. And she, she really showed the love of Jesus Christ to her husband. Did he deserve it? Of course he didn't deserve it. That's not the issue. But over time, he saw that if this is what it means to be a Christian, this woman has, you know, serves me uh, uh, and, and, and loves me and does so much for me. And if this is what it means to be a Christian, I want to know about Jesus. And I've seen that happen. Sometimes it took 5 or 10 or 15 years. Sometimes it took 20 years. But I've seen it time and time again. And it pres- it's a prescription to wives to essentially evangelize their husbands through their behavior. So, um, respecting, respecting and honoring your unbelieving husband is evangelism, essentially. And verse 19, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh to them. Um, wives, when your husband is, you know, men, we can be gruff, right? We can be gruff. We can, you know, rawr, you know, we, we see our friends, hey, you know, punch them in the shoulder and you know, those kind of things, and, you know, and even on the, on the, on the job, men can kind of be uh, harsh with each other. I worked in construction for a while, and it's really weird, at least in California, it was this way. 
uh, on, the, on the construction uh, site, even in management, the way men respect each other is by insulting each other. <laughs> you know, hey, what's up, dirtbag? I mean, you know, they, I mean, they just, that's just kind of how they in, engage with each other. But wives, if your husbands are, are harsh with you, if, if, uh, if they treat you uh, unkind, do you feel loved? You're supposed to say no. Um, some of you may, then we need, you know, some set of counseling for you, but... Um, <clears throat> But essentially, wives, you don't feel loved when your husbands act that way. And on the flip side, husbands don't feel love from their wives when their wives don't submit. See, I remember I said the Bible's a subversive book. It kind of doesn't go along the normal lines of, of the way, you know, we think. You know, men, we can think, well, I, I pay the bills, and I, I don't beat the woman, and, uh, you know, um, I put food on the table. What more could she want? You know, and then you hear those stories one day, a husband comes home and there's, you know, a letter on the mirror and lipstick, you know, bye, you know, <laughs> and he's like, what happened? I never saw it coming. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a greater responsibility than just to provide because we love our wives, not just in the things that we do, but in the way we treat them. And so the command here, the flip side of the coin is, yeah, wives submit because this pleases God, but husbands, love those women. Love your wives. Don't be harsh to them, right? Be gentle, right? Every, every, every woman wants her husband to treat her, you know, and caress her and, and be gentle, right? And, and to show and express his love for her. And that's exactly what the Bible is commanding us to do as men. Um. Essentially what Paul is saying is when men mistreat their wives and even children, as we'll see in a minute, it's an overreaching of their power. So yes, God has set up a hierarchy and a structure of the home, but when men mistreat their wives, Paul is saying, "Mm -mm -mm. you've gone way too far now. You're breaking the rules. You don't get to treat your wife harshly. That is not what it means to be the head of your home. It doesn't mean you get the right to speak unkindly or be gruff and harsh and unkind to your wife and to your children. You're overstepping your power. That's essentially what Paul is saying here. You don't have permission to do that. Um, I can assert my authority when I have to if it's in love and gentleness and when I, when I assert my authority out of grace and love, I don't make a rebel out of my wife. And also, uh, I have enough capital with her um, to do it because I don't pull out that trump card often. You know, uh, let's go to McDonald's. No, I'm the head of this house. We're going to Burger King. You know, uh, let's go to Target. No, we're going to Walmart. I mean, you know. You know, every chance you get, you know, you're just, you're just firing off that trump card. And, you know, you have to use wisdom. So there are times most you know, good marriages, I don't know how this is turning, it's kind of like a marriage counseling seminar, but I've been married 24 years, so, I mean, there are people in here who have been married longer than me, but I've, I've got a little bit of experience. Uh, but as a marriage grows, that harmony of submission and love fit together well, where... 
you're not pulling against each other in the opposite direction. That's the hope. That's the ideal. There are times when there's a collision. Right? But hopefully, the both of you are understanding that dynamic, seeking to live out that dynamic to where there's a harmony and you, you know, you're kind of, you know, she's holding one side of the tray and, and so are you and you're walking together and the stuff on top doesn't fall over. And so the Bible challenges us in the areas that we're not, um, we don't do naturally. That's how it's structured. And then verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That Greek word is tekna. It means child or beloved child, and it's the name of our student ministry. Tekna. Um, The first thing I thought when I read this, now we're moving from husbands and wives to children and parents, Uh, The first thing I thought of when I read this was that we live in a time where it's kind of just the opposite. I don't mean to be up here and kind of, you know, throw throw rocks, but there are certain, there there are good things in our culture we want to affirm, and then there are things in our culture that are in rebellion to God that we want to challenge, okay? So when I thought about this, I I thought about um, how in our culture, um, Parents can be afraid of their kids to where it's just the opposite. You'd think there was a verse that said, parents obey your children in everything. And that's kind of how our, how, how our the direction our culture and society has moved into. Um, where out of fear, parents are afraid to exercise that God-given role as the leader and authority of their home where they obey their kids. Their, every whim, you know, little Billy... You know, says jump, and mom and dad say how high. You know, little Mary screams, and mom and dad come running to obey, you know, uh, every whim and every word. Um, Or to get kids to do something, um, sometimes parents, we bribe our kids. Um, In his book, Punished by Rewards, Alfie Kahn, he argues that... um, all right, you millennials in here, don't get offended, okay, because hopefully you're not this way, but, you know, you can probably recognize some truth to it, all right? But he talks about millennials and that they have addiction and addiction to praise and perks and other incentives to learn, uh, better known as bribes. Um, and it's causing a lot of problems in the workplace, he says. Uh, Khan says that millennials are getting fired at a rate twice as high as the previous generation Because employers are fed up with the average 20-year-old's attitude about work. So it's just kind of the opposite of what Scripture, you know, commands. Um, They carry, these children who've been raised this way, and we're probably all guilty of it on some level, they carry with them into the workplace this sense that the world kind of revolves around them. Not all, obviously. Um, And they're often unable con notes, to simply comply with basic requests without equivocation. So this is not God's design, the way we raise our children. Children are to obey their parents. Now, parents have a responsibility. We'll talk about it in a second. I'm almost out of time here. But uh, children are to obey their parents, and the analog is us obeying the Father. Right? The analogy to that is us obeying Right? Our Heavenly Father. God is the Father whom we ought to obey. In all things, it says. 
uh, Exodus 20 and 12, which is probably what Paul is, is drawing from, says anyone who curses their father and mother is, that's Exodus 21 and 17, anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. That's how serious God holds the idea that children ought to obey their parents. In fact, in the commandments in Exodus 20, um, it was a commandment with promise, obey, honor your mother and father that your days in the land, right, they were going into the promised land, would be long. That your days in the promised land would be long that the Lord is giving to you. Um, and so this is, this is how important. In fact, Paul in Romans 1, right around verse 30, I get this. He lists disobedience to parents in Romans 1 alongside such sins as murder, idolatry, homosexuality. That's really heavy. And so as we think about that, how do we, how do we, how do we grapple with that, right? Uh, um, children, obey your parents in everything. Uh, and this just goes back to the command of honoring your mother and father. When I talked with the elders here um, and some of the, the leadership of the church before I, I came to West County Presbyterian, I told a little bit about my theological journey and my background, and I had a rift with my mother and father, particularly my father. My father was a pastor, and I was in ministry since my early 20s, and I had a theological shift, and it set my father and I on kind of different, you know, different hilltops. And, we were, and at, at one point, we were talking past each other. And by the time I took over my father's church at the past, as the pastor, I had a major theological transition. And we, were, we, we, we didn't see things eye to eye. Ultimately, I ended up leaving the church after being there about a year and a half as the pastor because of our theological disagreements. And it created a lot of tension with my parents and I to the point where we could hardly even talk to each other. There was so much angst, anxiety, and bad blood, and kind of anger that... It just got really bad. And when I shared that with the elders, the first question they asked me is, what's the relationship with your father now? And that's a really good question because they wanted to know, well, in spite of all that, are you honoring your parents? You know, have you, have you sought to, to, to honor them in that relationship? And fortunately, by God's grace, I have a great relationship with my mom and dad now. Um, but there was a time there where it was really hard, and the elders, the church leaders, wanted to know, you know, are, are you the person we think you are? You know, because if I said, oh, you know, we don't talk, you know, I don't, whatever. You know, I don't, I don't care about that guy, you know. And, I mean, that, that might have risen, risen some, uh, raised some flags. But, but, but the command to honor your mother and father doesn't stop as you become an adult. Um, and the other point I want to make um, is that um, you know, human rebellion manifests itself in different ways. Um, and it, there's not always one particular, you know, kind of uh, scenario that, that we find ourselves in. Um, but we have, to, we have to explore what it means to honor our parents and explore what it means that our children obey our authority. And then finally, um, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Again, here's the other side of the coin. Um, parents can ruin their children by constantly nagging them. You know, fathers, do not provoke 
your children lest you discourage them. Um, the word provoke can be translated as uh, don't exasperate your kids. Every little thing they do, they're wrong, you know. I mean, every single move they make, you're there to, to challenge or rebuke or confront. And the Bible's saying, don't be that way. Don't be that kind of parent because they're human beings just like you, right? Um, you know what happens to children when they feel that nothing they do is good enough for mom and dad? They do one of two things. They either kind of grow into this self-loathing where they never feel like they ever receive approval um, and they really start to hate themselves or they completely rebel. And, and so there is a tightrope to walk. Now, some of you have already risen, uh, excuse me, uh, raised children. You've got grandkids. You know this. And there are others here who are kind of just having children. And then there are some others who have had kids for a while. And so you're at different stages in this discussion. But essentially, what, what God wants us to do is to suffer along with our children. And sometimes it looks really messy. Right? As, as, as they grow and sometimes they make mistakes. And you want to love them. You want to challenge them. You don't want to let them get away with murder. At the same time, you don't want to be a, a tyrant over your kids. And so God calls us not to provoke them. Yes, to nurture, to train them in the way of righteousness, <clears throat> to have discipline. I believe the Bible's style for parenting is not authoritarian, but, but authoritative. Uh, you may think, well, what's the difference? An authoritarian style of parenting is where every word you say goes no matter what, without even having to explain it, no, whether it's just or not. You're the boss period, no matter what. Even when you're wrong, you're still right. That's an authoritarian style. An authoritative style is one that has firm discipline, instruction, the hierarchy is in order, but you're not a tyrant. You affirm where you should affirm. You let your children know that you love them. You're there for them. And you give them the grace you give them the permission to access the grace that you access. And what that means is this. Sometimes we tell our children, the grace of God is there for you in Jesus. But we act like, but you better not ever need it. That's kind of how we act, right? We want them to look to Jesus, but sometimes if we're not careful, the first mistake they make we can just be blown away and have utter contempt and disgust and rob them of the grace that we've received. We all know our hearts. We all know the rebellion in our own hearts and just how much love and forgiveness Jesus has given to us. And so it can be tough to, how do I discipline my child but afford them the same grace and love in Jesus that I've received? That's what we want to do. And it's not easy finding the balance. But this is what it means for the Lord to build the house. You know that passage? Except the Lord build the house, they that labor, what? Labor in vain. You know why Paul is talking about this? Because this is what a house built up by the Lord looks like. 
This is what a home built by God looks like. Obviously, not every home is like that. Some of you are single. But I'm talking about the dynamic of husband, wife, children. This is what it means for a home to be built by the Lord. If you don't build this way, right, it, it, the labors labor in vain. And so we want to do all things to God's glory because Christ is head over all. And we also want to build, whether it's relationships, whether it's friendships, whether it's, you know, financial uh, uh, responsibility. We want to build the way God wants us to build. And we want God to build with us. And we want to build on the rock. And that's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for this passage of scripture because your word challenges us in areas we may not always want to think about. And it also confronts us um, regarding things that we may think we already understand. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would uh, help us. Uh, I, I pray, O oh God, that the words spoken this morning uh, would reach our hearts and that anything that was said inappropriate or, or, or misspoke, Lord, that you would, you would care for our hearts and our minds this morning. Lord, not all of us are uh, married. Not all of us have children. But we are all children. And we have people around us and friends and family who are. And Lord, help us to think about these things in a godly way, in a way that honors and glorifies you, and in a way that, um, that asserts the preeminence and lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of our lives, O oh God. Lord, we thank you now. Let us leave this place not discouraged, but encouraged. In your son's name we pray. Amen. As the ushers bring forward the baskets for the offertory, would you place your connection card uh, with your prayer request in the basket? And I also want to point out one other thing on the connection card. There's an area uh, where it asks if you would like to serve in any